dirt road in a gooseneck saddle up with me dry land in god's country crops far as i can see the headlights on both ends of my day this country Welcome, folks, to HPJ Talk, the podcast from High Plains Journal, bringing the ag news and commentary of the week to you. I'm Jennifer M. Latsky, and I'm joined, as always, by my colleague, Kayleen Scott. Hey there, Kayleen. Hey, Jenny. Well, it's been an interesting week, hasn't it? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I, uh, I tell you what, I never thought I would be covering up plants on my birthday, but that's what I did Monday is I covered up plants to try to avoid a frost that would nip at them. And um, who knew that we would have the lowest temperature ever <laughs> for uh, May 11th um, in 2020. Wasn't that fun? Yeah. It only got to what, 38 or 39? Yeah, it was just hovering in the upper 30s, low 40s, just enough to make me nervous for my flowers. So. I went ahead and covered everything like a lunatic. (laughs) And after all these years of raising flowers, I finally got smart, Kayleen, and I used t-shirts for the individual pots. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Um, I can thank my my cooperative extension buddy, uh, Jennifer uh, Wilson, out in in, uh, Riley County for showing me that because, holy cow, I had no idea that that's... it, it was a game changer. It really was. <laughs> so, um, Sean had a birthday too. My birthday buddy, didn't he? Yeah. His was on Friday the 8th and he was disgruntled because he couldn't have a party with his, all of his cousins. Like he normally does. I relented and let his grandmother and aunt come over too. So we all hung out for a little while, ate cake and, Pizza, all the good. Well, at least he had a good birthday. I got to spend time with my fella um, the day before my birthday, but on my actual birthday, I went and got groceries with my mask, and I got me a slice of cake from the bakery. I came home, and Maggie Mayhem and I sang happy birthday and blew out a candle. (laughs) (laughs) What can I say? It's Christmas, and we're all in misery. Pretty much. No, actually, what can I say? It's coronavirus and we're all in misery. Yeah. (laughs) I tell you what, um, it's interesting to start seeing, you know, things slowly reopening. Uh, Tomorrow, I'm taking Maggie back to her groomer for the first time in a couple of months. So we'll, um, and, and I just decided, Kayleen, you know, with my service providers, like my groomer and my hairdresser and a few others that have had to stay closed, you know, even if I'm not ready for a visit to them or not, I'm going ahead and I'm making appointments just because I know they're going to need an infusion of, of cash right away as soon as possible. So, you know what? It's not time yet for Maggie to get her hair cut and such, but she's going to get a clip. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she could probably use one. Yeah. So uh, what else is, is uh, in the news? What, are, what else are you thinking about right now? 
you want me to think? <laughs> <laughs> oh, I know. Uh, let's talk about the farm to plate uh, deal that's been going on right now. Uh, have you seen this? The 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 Facebook page Shop Kansas Farms that got started and they're already over uh, just about under a hundred thousand followers on that Facebook page. Kayleen, have you been over there yet? Yeah, I joined the other day and there's a bunch of people looking for stuff and I was kind of surprised by the number when I went and looked for it today. Well, you know, it's it's interesting that um, you know, the the current situation has people reviewing the food supply chain in a way that we've we've been talking about for years. You know, um the very first time I can remember the first time that I heard that Walmart was going to have all of its fabrication of its meat products in a in um, backed up at the the processing plant versus having um, meat cutters on hand, I can remember thinking, well, yeah, that that makes perfect sense. You know, you've got on time delivery, just in, or just in time delivery. You have the packaging in a place that can be managed quality wise and and safety, food safety and security, et cetera, et cetera. It just made sense, right? And then we started talking, you know, digging down deeper into the food supply and, and understanding that if you have just one way that we get food versus a plethora of locations and sources and ways that you can get food, it's a lot, you know, when there's a, a break in that chain, it's, it's a little bit more scarier than if you had more segments in that chain, I guess, is what I'm coming at, coming at Kayleen. What do you think? Yeah, I agree. I think it's just gotten all way too big and it's not manageable when there's something like a pandemic that comes along. And, you know, even I got a grocery pickup today and it was kind of frustrating and it would have been nice to been able to take advantage of some local opportunity instead of going to the chain store. Yeah, yeah. You know, I, I will say this, you know, we've got newfound respect or newfound knowledge of buying local, and that's great. You know, anytime that we can have uh, farmers and ranchers with a side business of some sort of meat product, um, that diversifies their operation. That's great. Anytime that you can get a consumer that makes a local connection to the source of their food, that gets them thinking about the greater um, the greater food system and their their role in it. That's great. What I what I see coming down the pike though is we ha- we'll have all of these folks that you know really dive deep into the the local food system and and buy local and everything, but they also forget that they'd like to have strawberries in December, or you know the food system that we have created now, we have long term storage capabilities built in so. Um, you know, we we always have some something in the freezer, something on the shelf, shelf st- stability. Um, the, everything from pricing to packaging, you know, these are, are things that people have spent years drilling down and developing the most efficient way to do things. Um, and I don't want us to throw those out with the bathwater either, you know? Yeah, um, there's... A reason why you can get, you know, like you said, strawberries in December or asparagus in November and different things like that. I mean, we've gotten used to getting what we want, 
you know, when we want it. And it's kind of a change to, to not get everything you want anymore. I mean, I can remember my grandma and my mom putting up, you know, dozens and dozens and dozens of jars of canned goods out of the, out of the garden, you know, green beans and tomatoes and fruit from grandma's trees and, and all of that, I, they would spend weeks in the summertime canning so that there would be something on the shelf in the wintertime. And I always asked, I said, well, you know, grandma, you can go to the store and buy a can of, of green beans for, you know, 30 cents, well, 30, 40 cents back then, you know, why are you doing this? And she said, well, you know, I like eating my own produce. I like the garden. I like to put it up. But this way, I know that I always have something on the shelf for our family. You know, no matter what's on the shelf out there, I know we have something here. It was her version of food security. Yeah. I, I can see. Well, and then there would, there would come a point when your grandma wasn't physically able to go to the store and she still had food on the shelf. Exactly. You know, I think we're going to see more people really have a respect for storage, long-term storage, long-term planning for their food needs. Um, making sure that they use the food that they buy to its fullest extent, you know, reducing food waste. Which yeah, I've seen a few of those initiatives going on here most recently and talking about food waste. And I know in my own family, I'm struggling with that because I like certain things. My husband likes certain things. The boys don't want to try something new and I get frustrated and, and the stuff gets shoved to the back of the refrigerator. <laughs> But I don't throw it out. The cat's eating science experiment, so. (laughs) You know what I I spent my time doing this weekend was going through all of my kitchen cabinets, all of my shelves, and pulling out anything that was expired or outdated or canned goods. And, you know, making sure I pitched them because, you know, food safety girl in me is like, I don't know if that's safe to eat. (laughs) But then I started making myself a list. And so I planned my meals out for the whole week using what I have on the shelves and what I have in the freezer and just making a commitment, go through those first, just force yourself to eat it. (laughs) And it's, it's been kind of interesting. You know, I made chicken noodle soup from scratch the other day. I haven't done that in a long time. I always tell myself when I go to the store, oh, you've got the ingredients for that. Just, you know, just make it yourself. Well, it takes a little bit of time. And you always bypass it and open up a can. (laughs) Well, (laughs) I made it from scratch so I could use up some ingredients. (laughs) Um, I think we're good at, you know, like I said, I don't want to poo-poo the Shop Kansas Farms Facebook page. And, you know, there's other states that have, have seen that and have jumped on the bandwagon. And folks have created those pages for other states like Colorado and some others. That's a great idea. We should be shopping local when we can, when it's feasible, when it's practical. Um, But let's not throw the baby out with the bathwater. You know, we have a remarkable system in place to make sure that there's always going to be food on the road to the store. There's always going to be food in the store. There's always going to be food on, you know, and it's safe and secure, that food security. Well, and the food on the shelves is produced by a farmer somewhere, and, you know, they need support just the same way as the local guys do. Yeah. You know, the one thing that that kind of, you know, makes me a little sad 
is whenever I see people that um, try to pit one way of agriculture against another, whether that's organic versus conventional, whether that's commodity farming versus specialty farming, specialty crops, um, grass-fed versus feedlot beef, whatever it is. You know what? Let's celebrate the fact that we can feed our own nation. There are, there are countries out there that can't feed their own people, and we can. And we feed their people, too. Yeah, and we have extra to feed their people. Exactly. So, um, you know, when we go to the store and we see that there's a higher price of beef on the shelf right now, boy, howdy, that that does give you cause for pause. And it starts me thinking, yeah. where can I find some locally raised beef just out the door? I had a little sticker shock today when I picked up my grocery pickup. I had put in a five-pound package of hamburger like I always buy, and it was about the same price that it had always been. And I looked at my receipt, and it was considerably higher than I was expecting. Man, that is, you know what? And, and that's hopefully we'll go back to a little bit of a pre-COVID pricing. But I sometimes wonder if the retail guys are looking at that going, well, you know, they paid it then, they'll pay it now. Let's just keep that yeah. price and build that. I in. know if I, if I would have went into the store and, and bought my groceries, I probably wouldn't have picked up that hamburger because I don't need it necessarily at home, but I feel better that it's sitting in the refrigerator and not, not missing from, my shelves. You know, I think that's a holdover from our mothers. As long as you've got ground beef in the freezer, you're okay, right? Yeah. <laughs> I know I've always got a package of ground beef in my freezer. It, it just makes you feel like the world is normal as long as you got ground beef up there. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm getting sick and tired of eating ground beef. <laughs> Oh, man, I tell you what, well, tell Sean happy birthday for us. And and I hope that he enjoyed his cake as much as I enjoyed mine. <laughs> well, it's all gone. So he must have, <laughs> I didn't even get a piece of it. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I'll be curious as to, um, you know, going back to the the topic of, of that food, um, the local food thing. I will be curious as to how many of the people that start buying local like that and find a find a dealer for, you know, locally raised ground beef or a side of beef here and that. I I'd be curious in 6 months to a year if they're still doing that. If the relationships still stay or if, you know, things go back to a semblance of normality and they're just like, you know what, it's a lot easier for me to go to the store and put it in my cart. I'll be curious. Yeah. I know there's one that's down in Ashland and they started doing this a few years ago, selling beef off the ranch and they have a pretty nice website and they deliver and do a lot of things here around the area. And the last I looked, they were sold out of their stuff. So they had people, you know, saying how good their stuff was and hopefully it, people find find its value and the worth in it. And then these producers don't get overwhelmed and get frustrated and discontinue doing it. Well, and there's also the, the other flip side of the coin, you know, if you're a producer and you're selling your, your package beef out the door or your package meat or something out the door, you know, be conscious that somebody is other than your family members are going to be eating that. And so while you're having it processed at a local locker plant 
safe and secure and, and, you know, in a nice package, the way you handle it, you, you've got to make sure that you ensure that there's food safety there. Cause yeah, the last gotta be USDA inspected. Yeah. The last thing we want is a food safety outbreak because somebody got sick off of a local product that will hurt everybody. So yeah. And then the guys you need to consider the ones that have the, the beef in the freezer that they had butchered for their, for their own use that says not for sale on it. You can't sell that to, to people. You can't advertise that on Facebook because that's for your personal use. It's not for sale by you to another individual. That's not how it works. Yeah. You've had experience with local locker plants and your, and your um, beef and pigs, right? Just very little, but I, I do know that little tidbit of information. <laughs> I mean, not to be the, not to be the naysayer or the police of all this, but there's a reason why we have some of the regulations in place. It's for everybody's safety. The last thing anybody wants is a kid to get sick or a family to get sick and to have it come down to, well, you know, I bought this package of beef from a guy down the road and he had it, you know, in his freezer, but you know, he didn't, uh, he didn't sell it to me when it was fresh out of the freezer. <laughs> or something along those lines. I mean, there's any point in there where the safety net can break down. And, and frankly, you know, we raised cattle. We had our own beef, you know, butchered at a local locker plant. And I know that my dad would be one of those people that would, would probably sell some beef out the door just to get us through, you know, a downturn. But I don't know if, even he would think all the way through the steps of the safety process. Yeah. So, and, and the marketing, you know, people that have a really pretty website, they're going to do better in marketing than somebody that's just, you know, got a trunk full of stuff and says, Hey, want to buy some beef? (laughs) Want to buy some (laughs) lamb? Want to buy a pig? You know? Yeah. So there's a lot of thought that goes into the whole chain and um, good luck. Good luck to everybody. I'm going to get on there and see if I can't buy some local stuff, you know, in the Dodge City area. Why not, you know? Yeah, there was a few that I didn't realize that were around. and That was kind of an unusual way to find something like that. Who knows? I may develop a taste for goat. <laughs> <laughs> I, know, I know where you can get some goats at. <laughs> I will be goats curious. Out of, out of the, off the farm to people that live in Hayes, but are different ethnicities and that's what these groups eat and they said they were driving to kansas city for them and they found the sunrise farm and they serve the same purpose as what they were getting in kansas city well they're the same kind of goats yep meat goats Mm -hmm. so how are you folks doing out there you can drop us a line at hpj talk at hpj.com and let us know or call us at 1-800-452-7171. Yeah, and, you know, share us, share your experiences with uh, buying local during this uh, pandemic and and let us know how things went for you, the good, the bad, and and uh, let us know. We're, we're curious. And do us a favor, head over to iTunes or wherever you download your podcasts and leave us a review if you would. In this week's episode, we'll bring you the stories you might have missed in the May 11th print edition. 
I'll have a chat with Aaron Harries of Kansas Wheat talking about the upcoming virtual wheat hard winter wheat tour that they will be putting on the week of May 18th. Kayleen will bring us the latest on grain markets and we'll have our final thoughts. You know what? We're all safe and sound here and we sure hope you guys are too. Thanks for riding along with us here on HPJ Talk. storage on the high plains as many farmers generally grew the same crops every year. These days farmers are diversifying their operation and some even work to market their own crops. Many have turned to a, a government loan program to fund their storage needs on the farm. Newland writes about Levi and Curtis Johnson of Helena, Oklahoma and how the brothers found a fit their local farm cooperative wasn't offering. Kayleen, you have a story inside. CFTC adds task force liaisons to monitor the markets. So the Commodities Future Trading Commission hosted its Ag Advisory Committee meeting via teleconference on April 22nd. The CFTC recently created a livestock market task force to monitor activity around major market moving events. Um, you report that CFTC Chairman Heath Tarbert is the sponsor of the AAC and said Ag, like so many other sectors of the United States economy, is facing an unprecedented challenge at the hand of the coronavirus. Quote, this challenge has been exasperated by the difficult farm economy over the past several years, which is why it's of the utmost importance we gather leading industry voices to gain further insight into COVID-19's impacts on the markets we regulate, Tarbert said. He went on to say, ensuring that our markets are working for American ag is critical to fulfilling the CFTC's mission during these challenging times. That must have been a really interesting um, call to, to listen in on, Kayleen. Yeah, they have lots of different voices and lots of different um, aspects and points to think about during the call. It went on for hours, it seemed like, but it was interesting to listen to what they all had to say. But really, you know, outside um, investment and the futures market is how, uh, is part of how farmers and ranchers can um, make sure that they protect their profits in downtimes. And so it's really critical that everybody's playing by the same rules, especially when there's a pandemic like COVID-19. Yeah, that's true. In Sarah Wyant's column this week, she talks about how local farmers are using innovative ways to find customers eager for local food. Wyant details several what several states are doing to connect food with farmers locally. And like Jenny and I talked about earlier with the shop Kansas Farms on Facebook, um, as of May 13th at 11 a.m., there was about 86,000 members. I'm sure there's probably more by the time this podcast will come out. I tell you what, people are finding places like that, and they are really banding together to help each other. And that's what makes me proud to be an American um, agricultural communicator is telling those kind of stories. Right, Kayleen? Right. Last week in the podcast, we spoke with Oklahoma Congressman Frank Lucas about the push to get answers into beef pricing. 
And there's a story about what Lucas is looking for in uh, the May 11th issue as well. Elsewhere in the journal, there's a slate of stories covering the COVID-19 pandemic. Lacey has a story uh, titled, Oklahoma Rewards Manufacturers with Funds for Assisting with COVID-19. She also has a story about how gardening is on the rise, and she spoke with leaders of the Burpee Seed Company. Read more on the variety of ag issues facing farmers and ranchers in the Print High Plains Journal, or look for it online anytime at www.hpj.com. And folks, you'll see that we are running early bird special discounts on registration for our Cattle U and Trade Show July 29th and 30th in Dodge City. Attendee registration is just $85 until June 1st. Don't miss your chance to join us at Cattle U. Visit www.cattleu.net. If you have a response to something you've read or heard, please write to us at journal at hpj.com or hpjtalk at hpj.com. We want to hear from you. Well, welcome back, everybody, to HPJ Talk. And joining us this week is Aaron Harries, Vice President of Research and Operations for Kansas Wheat. Aaron, welcome to the show. Thanks, Jenny. I think we've had you on here before, so um, you are no stranger to everybody. But uh, we do have some interesting news coming up. There's going to be a virtual wheat tour. Uh, can you care to share some specifics about uh, this new project that's going on May 18th? Sure. You know, well, things have changed for everybody in 2020, and that's that's no different for the annual hard winter wheat tour. So people who are, who are familiar with it for, for decades now, uh, people from all over the country and, and some from all over the world have converged on Kansas the first week in May uh, to drive around the state and view the wheat crop and kind of assess what the yield potential of the crop is at that point in time. And it's a, it's a great experience. It's uh, folks from all over the agriculture industry, all walks of life. Uh, some have never been to Kansas or seen a wheat field. Um, and it, it's a great opportunity to network. But more importantly, it, it puts the focus on, on Kansas wheat for uh, a week. And uh, because of the COVID situation, it was just not uh, a responsible decision to bring in people from all over the country at this point in time, obviously, to share cars and, and travel around the state of Kansas. So we unfortunately had to had to cancel the week tour. Um, but what we're trying to do is, is somewhat of a hybrid of, of what we've normally done. We really want to still get out there and assess the situation of the crop right now. So we decided to do a, a virtual week tour uh, week of May 18th. And instead of having, you know, folks come into Kansas and travel around the state in, in cars, what we're going to do is ask our existing experts out there across the state to do the yield test for us. So we're inviting uh, the Certified Crop Advisor Group, uh, which has hundreds of members across the state. Um, we're going to ask uh, some of our K-State Extension agents uh, to help out, and then there'll be some from our staff and some from our wheat boards, um, leaders of the board 
experts who will travel around the state and do some yield estimates. So um, it's instead of traveling, it's just go out in the fields in your backyard, so to speak, and, and take those yield samples for us. So uh, we're going to break it down on a crop district basis. So we'll have an introduction on Monday, the 18th, and then on Tuesday, we'll collect data from North Central and Northwest Kansas. On Wednesday, we'll collect yield estimates in West Central and Southwest Kansas, and then we'll wrap up on Thursday with reports from South Central and Central Kansas. So it's going to kind of mirror the routes that we typically would take on the weed tour. And then our goal at the end of each day, we'll have a, a Zoom web conference. Uh, we invite people to call in and watch that. We'll have some reports of what we've seen on that specific day. Um, we have some guest speakers from from Oklahoma, Nebraska, and Colorado to give us reports on those states. And uh, we'll provide a range of yields for that day and then an average yield for that part of the state for that day. Mm-hmm. And then our goal when we wrap this up on Thursday is to give a yield production or a total crop production number for the state of Kansas. Well, now, uh, Oklahoma has done something similar to this. Uh, they've already put that in place uh, last week or week before last, um, following similar lines, um, correct? Yeah, they have done that, and we're going to ask a, a representative from them um, to come on our Zoom conference and kind of report on what they found and what they saw, and that'll be on the um, Wednesday Zoom conference. This will be at 4 o'clock each day. So on Tuesday the 19th, we're going to have Colorado and Nebraska um, join us on the conference and give a report, and they've all kind of done uh, their own uh, trip and estimates. And then on um, Wednesday, May 20th is when we'll have Oklahoma join us and, and give a report on that. So having been on just two tours, um, I'm still, I, I still kind of feel like a little bit of a newbie, but it's really important that people understand that the Wheat Quality Council's um, tour is really vital to the industry because it gives a good snapshot in time of, of the crop, right? It really does. And, you know, a lot of people use that number to, to kind of make some important decisions, but it really is a snapshot in time, and we always, of course, put that disclaimer out there that the wheat crop is going to change and always does change um, because we're in early May and so many good or bad things can happen to the crop between now and then. So what's different about what we'll be doing this year is the USDA estimate will already have come out. Um, it'll come out this week, and then our number will come out following that. So uh, usually it's the wheat tour number first, then USDA. We'd like to compare those numbers, but it'll be reversed that this year. We'll have USDA's number followed by our number. The other difference is that by waiting until the third week of May, um, a lot of the crop will be headed out, um, which typically is not the case first week in May. And the advantage there is you get to use a late-season formula where we count the heads instead of the tillers, and it will always also give us the advantage of being able to get a better handle on how much freeze damage there was. Because, you know, if those heads uh, don't have any grain in them uh, due to freeze damage, uh, it's easier to determine which heads are dead if the heads have actually emerged from the crop. So hopefully we'll get a better picture that way of, of how bad the freeze damage was, especially in central Kansas. So um, not to, you know, put the cart before the horse or anything, but having, having put together this virtual tour, 
and having, you know, gone on the regular tour so many years, um, might there be some things that hold over for next year as far as methodology or, or as far as um, presenting on the tour? I, I love the idea of having Zoom capabilities during the evening um, me evening meals on a regular tour for people that are outside and, and can't participate. Uh, I, I, I think I see this um, opening up to a wider audience that can follow along, maybe not in person, but virtually. I think you're right. You know, we've, we've seen the torches change in the past five years on the emergence of social media. It's really exploded on social media and has a huge following on social media. So um, this may be another point of change here that the COVID is going to change the way we do a lot of things in life. And I can certainly see us adopting some of the things that we try out on our tour this year, uh, the Zoom conferences, and, and just allowing a bigger audience to access what we do. Um, and so we've, we've talked about those kind of things. We've, we've talked about different technologies on how to do, you know, real-time yield reporting uh, during the tour. Um, but, you know, we'll be making big use of Twitter, obviously, again this year. Uh, if folks want to follow along on Twitter, uh, the hashtag will be WheatTour20. One word, obviously, WheatTour20. And uh, if you want to follow... Kansas Wheat on Twitter. It's just at Kansas Wheat. So we'll be uh, reposting all those things. We have people out there, whether it's crop advisors or extension agents, when they're in the fields, we're asking them to post photos and comments uh, and tag those, obviously. Um, so next week, if you want to uh, follow that, that's a way to do it. But yeah, I'll be curious to see how um, the tour continues to evolve, uh, getting more access to participants. And like you said, maybe just uh, even doing more real time and, and having more access for people when we do our nightly reports and meetings on what we've seen during the day. Very neat. Well, uh, switching gears here a little bit, uh, Kansas wheat crop is always um, the the one that everybody kind of keeps an eye on just because we are the, the wheat state. Um, it even says so on our, on our licenses and a whole bunch of other things, I suppose. Um, but what have we seen in the last month? Um, you mentioned there might be some freeze damage um, in locations here and there. I know that we'll see more of that in next week's um, results, but um, have, we, have we seen any disease pressure or any reports that you can pass along right now? Yeah, I'm the, I mean, it's never boring, right? Yeah. Uh, the wheat crop in Kansas. In fact, would you believe it was snowing in northwest Kansas yesterday afternoon? You know, um, yes. Yesterday on my birthday, I actually covered up plants for the first time in my lifetime. <laughs> yeah, well, belated happy birthday, by the way. But no, there was there was enough snow to cover up a, a little bit on the ground, so that's, that's a little crazy for, for May 11th. But um, disease pressure, yes. Uh, the latest report from K-State Extension, Eric DeWolf, uh, the striped rust is really starting to uh, kind of explode in the, in the central part of the state, which is not surprising given this, this weather pattern we're going to get warm and humid and wet this week, and it's going to be a perfect environment for it. Uh, so there are, you kind of look for striped rust in the lower leaves of the plant first, and then it'll get onto the upper leaves of the plant, and that's when the real concern is. And we're starting to see striped rust in some counties on those upper leaves. So we've heard um, people are out there spraying fungicides, which is which is a good sign, but um, that's something that certainly is emerging. Um you know, as far as the freeze damage in central Kansas, it'll be interesting to see how this weather has factored into it. You know, mm -hmm. Ideally in May, you want wet, cool weather. 
chance to recover uh, a little bit if it didn't get hailed on. But um, it's a completely different story in the western part of the state, obviously. It's, it's two different crops. Uh, the west central, southwest Kansas crop especially are in bad shape. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of the wheat in southwest Kansas has been destroyed already uh, just because of the drought. Yeah. Um, you know, and, uh, there's some freeze damage in northwest Kansas, too, on a, kind of a different level. It affected that crop when it was much smaller. Um, and we'll see how that recovers out of it. But, yeah, our, hopefully our eyes are opened up a little bit when we go out next week and, and get an assessment of things. Okay. Well, in our final minute or so, um, any any local, state, or federal issues that wheat farmers need to kind of be paying attention to, um, um, more payments or anything along the lines that they've got to be sure to, to talk to their FSA folks uh, about? Well, there's there's those new USDA payments that were part of the, um, the relief package for um, the COVID relief situation already through USDA. So I uh, don't have a lot of details on that yet, but there'll be There'll be payments coming out on that, so um, we'll we'll keep farmers alert on that. But in the meantime, you know, we're just uh, watching the market situation and see what China does in terms of of uh, purchases. So uh, you know, they they have been buying some wheat, so that's been good for the wheat industry. Um, we'll just see what the USDA number comes out later this week and see what things look like. Um, particularly in Kansas, obviously, we expect a much smaller crop than we had last year, and uh, at the tour next year or next week, excuse me, we'll have hopefully a better better handle on that. Mm-hmm. You know, I spoke with Guy Allen for a story to appear in High Plains Journal, and he was mentioning if there's a bright side, it's that wheat is a food crop, and there are a lot of countries that are, um, you know, trying to either build their reserves or holding back their own wheat off of the world market. So that actually might present some opportunities for American wheat growers, right? Oh, I think so. Yeah, I mean, the demand is there for the as you said, because it's a food crop. And, and what's more importantly is we're, we're starting to whittle through this excess supply we've had, not only around the world, but here in, in the United States. Uh, you know, some export restrictions possible in, in Russia and Ukraine, which which helps our marketplace out. But uh, like you said, people have to eat. And uh, so we, we've seen a little bit of strength in the wheat market. We'd like to see uh, a little bit more out of that. And, I think we'll see a higher protein crop in Kansas just because of those dry hot conditions we've had in the western state, western part of the state. And frankly, we, we could use a higher protein crop to get uh, some of that milling quality wheat out there. And, you know, we've, we've been uh, milling a lot of wheat flour here in the U.S. lately because of that COVID situation, too. Mm-hmm. Well, hey, thank you so much, Aaron, for joining us on HPJ Talk today. And if people want to um, participate again or if they want to follow along, um, where can they go to access the virtual wheat tour? Go to our website. So that's kswheat.com slash virtual tour. It'll have the schedule on there, and it'll have the information if you want to uh, register to attend via the Zoom conference, and then we'll provide you the information for login. So that's kswheat.com slash virtual tour. Well, thank you so much, Aaron. And um I will be participating in the virtual wheat tour. I'll, I'll be sure to, to make it all those nights because it's always fun to, to learn more um, about the crop and, and to catch up with y'all. Uh, thanks for joining us on HPJ Talk. Uh, we'll see you on the trail, okay? Okay, thanks. It was a pleasure.
prices from Dodd City's Pride Ag Resources on May 5th, corn was up at $3.07, wheat was up at $4.39, milo was up at $3.17, and soybeans were up at $7.45. If you'd like to have crop or livestock targeted news emailed directly to you, sign up for our HPJ Direct email newsletters on our website, www.hpj.com slash signup. Simply select the topics that interest you and you'll receive updates on them directly to your email. Be sure to watch for the wheat marketing and finance issue of the High Plains Journal in your mailboxes May 18th with a story from Jenny. And look for additional content online anytime at www.hpj.com. Remember, you can subscribe for free to this podcast at hbj.com slash podcasts. You can find us on iTunes, Google Play, and wherever you download podcasts. Follow us on Twitter and Facebook at Talk for news and commentary throughout the week. And you can always drop us a line at our email, hbjtalk at hbj.com. Thanks again, folks, for riding along with us as we bring ag news and commentary to you. And remember, as Dodge City's favorite lawman, Wyatt Earp, once said, Fast is fine, but accuracy is everything. We'll see you on the trail. Dirt road in a gooseneck, saddle up with me. Dry land in God's country, crops far as I can see. Headlights on both ends of my day.